I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, chickens, and tholians to episode 56 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And Jarman, what are those? Those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek, and we do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have The Muppet Show with special guest Alice Cooper in the original series episode, Assignment Earth. Oh. <laughs> but before we do that, Jarman, do we have any feedback? We sure do. So, philosophies, uh, or philosophies... On Twitter, so it's it's Philo dash sci-fi with the Z at the end. So that's how we want to say okay. that. Up Philosoph- to you, Yeah. So I, I believe that this guy, one of the guys on that podcast, was a guest on Daniel Peter Hitch, a good friend of the show's podcast, the Temporal Trek podcast. Okay. Um, and he was on there. It might not be the same person, but I, either way, uh, Dan Hitch mentioned our show in a tweet. And philosophize responded on Twitter saying, Muppet Trek, wild. Think of the genius of conceptualizing that. So, with many O's, looking forward to checking that out. To which Dan Hitch responded via his Temporal Trek podcast account, Muppet Trek is from the Play on Nerds, guys. They are podcasting gold. It's so good where it's a like-for-like, episode-to-episode review, and as they prove every week that they are the exact same TV show. <laughs> and uh, so Philosophize responded, thanks for opening up a whole new reality to us. Looking forward to exploring this new universe. And yeah, like he said, the genius it would take to conceptualize that, like we were just two fools grasping at straws, <laughs> two idiots doing a dumbass <laughs> idea. But thank we you, anything else. <laughs> and Philosophize, apparently, according to their website, is an on screen sci fi and philosophy podcast with Matt and Dave. Uh, their episodes are released on Saturdays, UK time, three seasons of six episodes a year. So, spring, summer, autumn, and the odd special. So, go check them out. They're, they seem like a fun, fun duo. Six episodes a year and the odd special. That sounds like British TV to me. It does sound like British TV. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a new subscriber on our YouTube channel. Welcome Domingo G to the uh, El Play on Nerds YouTube channel where you can see all of our podcasts uh, or listen to them rather. Uh, so thanks for joining up Domingo G. And that's yeah. our that's our feedback for the week. So, Steve, tell us about the guest on The Muppet Show this week. We have Alice Cooper. Who the heck is that? Alice Cooper, singer, songwriter, and occasional actor. Uh, Alice Cooper's penchant for stage illusions and theatrics uh, has led him to have an eventful career. He was in a series of bands through the 60s, uh, including one called Alice Cooper. That was the name of the band. But it wasn't until 1975 when he changed his name to Alice Cooper. Oh, that makes more sense now. And released his album, Welcome to My Nightmare, that he came into the mainstream, really. And was he like so, kind of the precursor for like metal and that kind of thing? I always thought he was, but I guess he's not. Kinda, but like like performance metal. Mm, okay. I see him almost as a precursor for like Guar, Ozzy Osbourne, kinda ish. Yeah, the the big theatrics and showmanship Kiss. of rock. Yeah, yeah. I th- I feel like a lot of that comes from him. That makes sense. Um, but uh, so he, some of his his theatrics feature things like fake blood and explosions. 
And there was even an incident in which Alex Alex supposedly tore the head off of a chicken and drank its blood on stage. Oh, boy. I had to dig into this story because it was just too big. <laughs> uh, so here's what I found. Alice had a song called called Bad Juju, mm. which was kind of about uh, like voodoo magic. And him and his bandmates would take hotel pillows and rip them apart and throw feathers on the crowd as part of the song. Gotcha. Well, all of a sudden, all the all the hotels they stayed at started switching to foam pillows. Go figure. <laughs> so they started throwing other things like rubber snakes and doves and watermelons and all sorts of stuff. So the band, one of the roadies, had two chickens that traveled with the band as pets. Well, there was one concert where Alice had this brilliant stroke of genius that he was going to throw the chickens out into the audience. Oh, the crowd was in such a frenzy that they tore the birds apart and stomped them to death. There was blood everywhere. And within just a few days, the rumor mill was started. And it came out like the band did it on purpose. And it eventually evolved into Alice bit the head off of a chicken and drank its blood on stage. <laughs> Which is funny because then Ozzy Osbourne was always the lore was that he bit like a, the bat, a bat's a head bat off or something. Yeah. Um, so the band got a call just a few days later from Frank Zappa, who was the head of their record label. And he said, hey, did you guys actually murder a chicken on stage? And they set the record straight and told him that's absolutely not how it happened. They told him the whole story. And he says, never tell anyone the real story. This is turning into a sensation. Uh, (laughs) Of course. Everyone wants to book you now because of how hardcore you are. Yep. So you lie about this the rest of your career. And they did. For like decades, they, they told this story in every single interview they did. (laughs) <laughs> about him biting the head off a chicken on stage <laughs> but it never it didn't something terrible happened but that was not it because he seemed pretty mild-mannered in this episode so i was like i don't think this guy's gonna bite a head off a chicken i don't think so like he likes theatrics but not like violence uh, but what's he up to this week on the muppet show well the backstage plot centers around uh, the creepy and spooky things that start occurring once alice shows up including rumors of his deal with the devil Sam takes a specific issue with Alice, Alex and his freako ways, quote unquote, which Alice takes as a compliment. We also get a really fun and rare backstage musical number with the with a bunch of monsters singing once a year day to celebrate being strange one time a year. Hmm. On stage this week, Kermit introduces Alice Cooper, who emerges from a coffin dressed as Dracula. He performs Welcome to My Nightmare, and he's joined by an assortment of monsters and ghouls and even gets to dance with some really cool ghost effects. Yeah. Up next, we get a William Tell act that we don't actually get to watch, but it presumably goes bad because one of them comes back with an arrow through their head. (laughs) Following this, we have an adventure to Muppet News Labs where they're working on making germs bigger so they can be observed. The germ enlarges and immediately attacks Peter. Of course. Uh, After this, we get a really bad toothache sketch. um, It's weird. Where... There's stalagmites and stalactites talking about how they have a toothpick only for the camera to pull out to reveal that they themselves are teeth inside of a larger stalagmite. Yeah. And it's bad. and just goes on too long. It reminded me of those old house sketches that were so really lame. Oh, those were so bad. <laughs> uh, Robin takes the stage and sings uh, Over the Rainbow, which is just a lovely break. 
and a wholesome bite of something in the middle of this spooky episode. And right before he goes on, Kermit does say, or someone knows a Gonzo. Somebody says, oh, Fozzie says, I wish we could have a break from all this craziness. And then it right. cuts it cuts to Robin. Yeah. Uh, next, we have what we are. Alice sings a beautiful ballad with an ugly monster. And it's simply delightful. Mm-hmm. It's later revealed that Piggy is the ugly monster and made some sort of magic dark dealing with Alice Cooper. <laughs> After this, we head to the swine track for pigs in space where Link Hogthrob is sick. They try to shock him back to health, which only turns him invisible or sort of a line version of himself. And this disease eventually spreads to the rest of the crew. It's like an electric uh, electric version of himself. Yeah. Uh, Alice is joined on stage by a bunch of full body monsters and they perform schools out. He has a graduation cap and gown that he eventually trades for a devil's costume as they proceed to run amok and uh, dance with monsters on stage. Kermit thanks Alice Cooper one last time. He's joined by a slew of monsters and ghouls, but Gonzo comes out with the scariest thing of all, the special effects bill for the episode. (laughs) I thought that was awesome. And and that is what we call The Muppet Show. (laughs) So, Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with special guest Alice Cooper? Uh, Well, it kind of shook me a little bit starting off because Kermit seemed legitimately afraid instead of being like funny afraid. And I was like, oh, he's like shaking in every scene. So I was like, they really went for it. Yeah. And then but then it was just kind of, you know, spoopy. It wasn't like it wasn't that scary or anything. But they did mention Satan a few times, which I was surprised. Yeah, Um, there was like contracts presented at least once or twice. Yeah, like they went they went for it there too. Um, I did mention that in my notes the toothache sketch was very strange uh, and kind of odd. Um, But also, it's appropriate that we're recording this episode in the middle of uh, October. Going to be Halloween soon, so good spooky episode for the Halloween season. Yeah, because we had probably what the Vincent Price episode would have been an equivalent to. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I did. I really laughed because I wasn't. I didn't think this was coming that the Miss Piggy was actually the monster that Cooper was singing the duet with. Oh, that was good. And I thought it was, I actually had a laugh out loud moment when he calls his boss. Cause he looks like really dejected and kind of like an underling when he calls his boss. Like, Oh man, <laughs> he's like, he's in, he's basically in sales. I didn't get her. <laughs> he's basically in sales. He's like, this thing just really funny. Um, <laughs> but the special effects in the pigs in the space segment was really cool. I thought like that was really neat. Oh, yeah. Um, and for that time period, I thought it was pretty cool how they spread the special effects, the whole ship. That was really neat. Um, but overall, I mean, it wasn't as uh, edgy as I was expecting from Alice Cooper because I don't know much about him. But I thought he was like this, you know, edgy kind of father of like metal or, or you know, like death or Satan kind of music. But he was very kind of uh, mild mannered. and He was nice and he was good with the Muppets. Um, so it was both better and worse than I expected, but also it came out as a kind of a upper middling episode. Um, yeah, how about you? Um, so I think that so just reading up on Alice Cooper as part of this, that was really part of his shtick. Alice Cooper is incredibly well spoken. Yeah. And he very much holds the line of it's a performance. Mm. Uh, if anything, I see now that I'm thinking about it, he's more of a predecessor for someone like Marilyn Manson. Yeah. Who unfortunately who's like is like highly a intelligent. Bad guy, but- well, yes, he is abusive. Um, that has come out in recent years. Um, mm. but he's also extremely well spoken. Right. And interviews, uh, he's very calm and like, you know, very calm, even when people try to instigate him and poke at him. Um, and Alice is very much the same way. So I really saw this episode as like him subverting expectations. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I've got to say, besides the toothache thing, the, the backstage and main onstage plot followed each other very, very well and very, very closely, which is a hallmark of a good episode to me. We got some standard things like Muppet Labs and Pigs in Space. Um, and 
what we are is maybe my f- my favorite musical performance so far. Uh, that's the one with all the monsters, or oh no, the, no, the, that's that's the, just him and the ugly monster singing to each other. That duet was lovely. Yeah, it was beautiful. It might be my favorite performance thus far. Wow, in the entire show. And so between all of those things, I think this for me easily lands a top five spot. Damn, that's great. Between all of those factors in one episode, it lands a top five for me. I think that you can give that partially to not only the Muppeteers performance in that duet, but also Alice Cooper really selling that he seemed to be in lovey dovey love with that uh, ugly Muppet, you know, like it was such a nice break and you don't expect it to come out of him. Yeah. And I, I actually, the lyrics of the song really, really stuck with me. It was like kind of like the everyday person being in love with their partner in everyday life. They have to go to and work. All I want to do is like watch TV. I want to watch TV you. with you. They mentioned that in the song. I want to lay with you and watch you sleep. Like, and then you, I, you make me happy to wake up in the morning kind of thing. It was, like, it was just a really sweet song with these two gothic looking creatures, you know, yeah. singing to each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was also part of the charm. It was. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I didn't um, think about that. But yeah, so because of that top five for me, um, and that one that one performance might be my favorite one. That's that's really cool. It, it, it's so, just tricking over with me. It was it was good. Uh, so speaking of music this week, uh, we've got "Welcome to My Nightmare." This was released on his first solo album when he changed his name to Alice Cooper. Mm. Uh, it was a concept album, and it was meant to be played in the perf- in the order that it was on the album because there was an overarching story of a kid named Stephen having a nightmare. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, Over the Rainbow, written for Wizard of Oz by Arlen and Harburg. Uh, Harburg was, in fact, declared a socialist and was blacklisted during the Red Scare. Oh, go figure. Uh, Once a year day from the musical Pajama Game, uh, a musical about a pajama factory where workers demand a raise, but things get complicated when the head of the labor group ends up falling in love with the new factory superintendent. Oh, oh, the book for the show, The Pajama Game, was written by George Abbott, who also wrote Damn Yankees, whose original Broadway cast featured last week's guest, Gene Stapleton. Oh, okay. And yeah, Pajama Game is pretty popular, too, amongst the musical theater crowd, too. It's a pretty popular one. Uh, you and Me, this is from Alice's 1977 album, Lace and Whiskey. Uh, this song was actually Alice's last top 10 single in the U.S. for over a decade until the wildly popular Poison in 1989. And that's the duet one? Yes, do it. Oh, that was his song. I didn't know if that was his song or not, because it seems so down to earth and normal. <laughs> uh, everything he sang was one of his. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Another another reason I think that this episode's so good. Uh, yeah. School's Out from Alice's fifth album of the same name, School's Out. Uh, when asked about his inspiration, Alice said that he was looking to capture uh, the three best minutes of his life. And he said the two things he could think of were Christmas morning right before you open presents. And the second one he thought was, was the last three minutes waiting for the school bell to ring on the last day of school. Oh, that's really nice. And he knew that if he could capture that feeling that he would have a hit song and he was absolutely right. I need to just expose myself to more Alice Cooper. I'm liking him more and more. The more you describe him, <laughs> he was he was like a the, he was a crazy theater kid. He basically is. A rocker. What was really his real cool. name? Like Alan Steinberg or something? <laughs> uh, no, I did have this. God, why don't I have this factory? Alice. <laughs> Vincent Damone Fernier. What a name. I mean, Vincent's a good goth name, but, uh, you know. Yeah, Vincent Damone Fernier. But yeah, it, and then he was in a band called Alice Cooper. And there was this big legal dispute where he couldn't go solo and continue to use the name. So he had to legally change his name to Alice Cooper in order to keep using the name. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So, Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? I think throughout watching this, there was a lot of beautiful moments and everything was done very well, but just the most complicated and intricate and a lot of different mediums happening at one time was the uh, once a year day uh, uh, musical number because it was just like there was all sorts of levels. There was a full uh, costumed person and then there was Muppets and there was also a ghost creature. They're all singing together and moving around the stage. A lot, of, a lot of performers at the same time. Exactly. So I think that was definitely my favorite Muppeteering moment for sure. Um, for me, I think it's a tie. I agree. The ghosts that were used a few places in this episode were just a really good, clean effect. Yeah. And the fact that he did a dance with one of the ghosts in Welcome to My Nightmare was in itself pretty impressive. That was cool. Um, and then I loved the schools out because to see that many big, full bodied monster puppets dancing and just going crazy. They're man- just a lot manhandling of him and stuff. Yeah, just manhandling <laughs> him, um, which is great. It was just great to see. That's true. So, yeah. German, tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series we watched. All right. So this week we have Assignment Earth, which is the last episode of season two of the original series, which we'll get to later this episode, being it's the season finale, uh, which was also a going to be a spinoff for a new series that didn't take off. So this was kind of the backdoor pilot for Assignment Earth or Gary Seven, as we'll find out later. So the Enterprise has time traveled. Back to 1968 Earth uh, for a very nebulous reason. They say just historical research and they kind of blow off the fact that it was so easy for them to travel back in time. Kind of strange. But while they're uh, just uh, circling Earth incognito, they get uh, intercepted a transporter beam coming from thousands of light years away, which is insane to them. It's impossible. And this man uh, beams aboard called Gary Seven with his cat. And he's in 20th century clothes, 1960s clothes. He calls his cat Isis, and he is in the transporter room, and he realizes that Captain Kirk and the crew are from the future very quickly because he recognizes a Vulcan when he sees Spock. So they think that's very weird. But Gary Seven warns Kirk that uh, history is changing uh, and it's very nebulous point right now in 1960s, and he needs to get down there to stop things from happening. Um, and he, it will change badly if he's not released immediately. But since Kirk has no proof of this, he doesn't want to leave him, uh, send him back down to Earth in case he's dangerous, so he keeps him in the brig. Uh, Meanwhile, Spock searches the history database and finds that the United States will launch an orbital nuclear weapons platform in just a few hours. So he thinks maybe that's what Gary Seven was talking about. Uh, So suddenly Gary Seven pulls out of his uh, pocket when he's in the brig a basically a sonic screwdriver like you would find in Doctor Who. It's a servo device, as he calls it. And he's able to get out of the uh, the brig and he's able to beam down to his office in Manhattan with his cat. And this is going to be basically the set of this new show they're going to have. It's like nice swanky, like Mad Men style office that Gary Seven has. And he basically exits out this vault door using the hidden teleporter. And he has a computer in his office and he identifies himself as Supervisor 194, codenamed Gary Seven. And he's asking the computer about where his agents are that he was supposed to rendezvous with, 201 and 347, these two agents that are missing. And apparently the computer hasn't heard from them in three days. So Gary Seven finds out he has to complete their mission himself, whatever that mission is at this point, we're not sure. And suddenly a young woman arrives who Gary Seven mistakes for Agent 201, but it's actually just a random woman who apparently worked for those agents, whose name is Roberta Lincoln, played by the lovely Terry Garr. Um, and she's the secretary of those agents without knowing anything about them being from wherever they are from. So 
Seven, Gary Seven just tells her he's a CIA agent and he tells her that she should stay on board and assist him and be his, his assistant. So the computer eventually discovers that agents 201 and 347 have died in an automobile accident and they just died in a freak accident and that's what it is. And we basically find out that Gary Seven is from a random planet very far away uh, that is – they basically abducted humans – um, from early humanity back in the caveman days. And they've been for over a million years been um, training humans to be just like them and to so they could eventually send them back to Earth to protect Earth and help their evolution into a species that where they should be eventually their manifest destiny or whatever. So he's been away from Earth all that. He's never been there before, but he's, you know, from this advanced race called the Aegis, I think they're called eventually. So eventually Kirk and Spock track Seven down to his office. Uh, the secretary stalls them while Seven and his cat uh, enter the vault and are teleported away and apparently find out that he's there to stop this um, rocket from malfunctioning, basically, and taking out the uh, the Russians and causing World War Three. He's there to sabotage it. So uh, Gary Seven goes with his cat all the way up to the uh, missile lot silo with the cat. <laughs> I don't know why he brought the cat with him. Um, and he's going to sabotage the, 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 the rocket so it doesn't blow up. Um, blow up russia which is important um so then kirk and spock pursue uh gary seven over to the rocket base and they are immediately detained by police as so many episodes they go somewhere and are immediately detained because <laughs> they take no precautions whatsoever um and on the enterprise uh scotty uh locates gary seven and he try he beams him up before he can finish gary seven can finish sabotaging the rocket and at that same moment in uh, Gary Seven's office, Robert, Roberta is experimenting with the vault controls and she inadvertently intercepts Scotty's transporter beam, bringing Gary Seven back to the office. So Gary Seven tries to finish his job remotely using his computer and arming the warhead and sending it off course so it'll blow up very safely away from Russia. Um, and basically the people at the base are trying to get control of the rocket again and they have Kirk and, and Spock there. And eventually, Kirk and Spock are able to beam away from there by getting back their um, their what do you call it communicators. And so they go down. They basically are able to beam back down to Gary Seven's office, and they uh, try to stop him from doing whatever he's doing because they think he's still trying to sabotage Earth or make the Earth go into war. And he finally is able to convince them to give him a chance to stop the rocket, and he does uh, just barely before it blows up into Russia. And eventually Kirk and Spock explained to Gary Seven that the Enterprise was meant to be part of the day's events because they were always going to be there no matter what. That was always going to happen in history. So it's like the non-changing timeline kind of time travel. And they go off back into space. They're barely involved in this episode, frankly, uh, the Enterprise crew. And uh, then we have Gary Seven victorious. He averted a disaster and the Enterprise crew goes about their business. So <laughs> what did you think of this episode, Steve? So some things I liked. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were some like, I don't know, call back, call forwards. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I liked Spock's attachment to the cat. <laughs> I thought it was a really nice precursor to Data's, uh, like Lieutenant Data's attachment to his own cat, like way down the line in Next Generation. Yeah, like a, a logical being liking a cat. Yeah. Right, because Data is is the Spock of Next Generation. Right. From as far as the role they fill, it's the same role. Exactly. Um, so I thought that was kind of like a nice call forward. Huh. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that this was a good female character 
who had actual plot impact and more than three lines. That's true. That's true. Which is, I feel like more than we can say for about 85% of the other female characters that aren't Ahura. In the original series, yeah. In the original series. And mo- right. much of 60s television, to be honest. Now, mind you, you're talking about this being a pilot. That might be why they gave her more credence and screen time and texture than a lot of the other females. Right. Is because the plan was to have this be a show. Um, Makes so sense. Maybe she, maybe she got lucky in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, things I, I struggled with. Um, just I'm with you. Just how flippantly they 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 did time travel. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even bother to show them doing it. They just started in the 60s. <laughs> We're just here observing important important days and things happening on Earth. But yet Spock had no idea they were about to put a, a, a like a nuclear space station launch platform yeah. into the sky. Like he had to look that up despite the fact they're there at that exact day. Kind of important. Kind of important. <laughs> um, and for a guy that we were eventually supposed to trust to save the world, they really played the audience against him mm. in that they made him incredibly shady. Um, they made his dealings incredibly shady. Even the fact that he was able to go on to like a nuclear missile base with a cat and no uniform <laughs> and no one did anything to stop him. Yeah, the cat like thing is really weird. Questionable, because no one walks outside and around and about with a cat in their arms. Like that's and just I think, very strange. I think it would have been cleaner if if the audience had known something that Kirk and Spock didn't. Mm. That allowed us to struggle with them in that, like, oh well, if they don't let him go. He really is trying to help. Blah blah. But they really kept the audience on the like, is he a good guy? Up until the very end. That's true. Yeah, I could see that, and in not a positive way. Hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right. There was something very Doctor Whoey about this whole episode. <laughs> the fact Huey. that he has like he has like is it the sonic screwdriver, his instrumentation, the closet that can like transport him anywhere, and the companion who's just a regular human, uh, right, right, right. who's just staple. kind of along for the ride. Very Doctor Whoey, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um, so overall, not the strongest episode in season two. Um by a long shot and not even the best time travel episode this season. Oh no. Yeah, it's true. Um, so I don't know. I'm not going to say bottom of the barrel, but definitely not top. I would say though, like if they retooled this, like I like the idea. That's a good premise for a, for a show like, Oh yeah. The time traveler sent back from like an alien race who wanted to save the human race. And so he has to like act mysteriously. And use this crazy set of tech to get around the world to fix these problems. Yeah. Like, not, like a, a, not a bad thought. Yeah. Like, it's almost like someone thought of it before when they made Doctor Who. <laughs> kind of. Yes. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and that one worked. <laughs> that one did work. Um, I'm not sure I could have tolerated a whole show of it. Um, he yeah. wasn't very charismatic either. The actor playing him was not he very charismatic. so flat. Very like authoritative, you, kind of boring. But if if the if the di- the dichotomy was supposed to be that he was the 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 straight man and she was kind of the like the goofball over the top goofball, a little bit more flippant and floaty, it may have worked for a show. 
Yeah. But instead, we just got this very out of balance episode. <laughs> and then the cat turning into a sexy woman later in the episode for a few minutes, not being explained. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this is like when they make they make a movie that they're it's like Aragon. They're like, we're going to make a movie and then it'll be the precursor for six other movies. And someone goes, shouldn't we make this one good first? And they went, no, 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 no. There's going to be six others we can do better. Those will explain. Those will explain. <laughs> and that one turn was like, guys, are you sure we really should try to make this one good? Shut up, Todd. Said, Shut up. Give me my coffee, Todd. <laughs> So that's what this episode was. This is the Shut Up Todd episode. Okay. <laughs> Shut up, Todd. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Uh, you got uh, some factoids for us? I sure do. So there's some fun factoids for this one. Um, so Spock mentions all the events which are to occur on that date the Enterprise traveled back in time to the 20th century and meet Gary Seven. Among events mentioned was an important political assassination. As it turned out, there were ultimately two important political assassinations in 1968. Just six days after this episode aired, on March 29th, 1968, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. And two months later, on June 6th, 1968, Robert F. Kennedy was shot in Los Angeles. Uh, So that was pretty prophetic. It was pretty weird. That they said that um, while at the launch base and showing his ID to security person, Mr. Seven shows a national security agency credit credential card. The NSA was one of the worst kept government secrets, but was not publicly acknowledged until nearly 25 years after this episode originally aired. So it was kind of fun that they put that in there. So Terry Gar, who played uh, Roberta Lincoln, the secretary, had such an unpleasant time filling, filming this episode, she refused to ever talk about Star Trek again. Whoa. Although she did do an interview with Starlog magazine many years later, in which she was very disparaging of both the show and its fans. One reason was Gene Roddenberry's frequent clashes with costume designers over the length of Roberta's skirt. Roddenberry wanted it shortened to the extent that Mrs. Gar's underwear is glimpsed on occasions. <laughs> Go Roddenberry. Yay. Terrible. Uh, three black cats were used for the role of Isis. That's cute. Okay. That was a fun fact. Um, so Star Trek Voyager episode prime factors in 1995 was originally going to be based on assignment earth. The original story involved the crew of Voyager encountering the race that had dispatched Gary seven. However, this was declined as the, the race, the Aegis's uh, technology could transport individuals over thousands of light years via transport, as we saw mm-hmm. in the episode, thereby providing an easy out for the Voyager and precluding the entire series. So they're like, oh, that, that won't work because then they could just send them home. Um, Gary Seven's servo, his little sonic screwdriver, is used in ways not unlike Doctor Who, uh, which had been invented for the now famous BBC series just a couple of years early in 1963. So about five years earlier. Uh, uh, Seven also has a young, naive, attractive human companion, much like the Doctor Who always has. Uh, whether this is a coincidence or the writers had some awareness of Doctor Who's now iconic tool is unknown. But of course they did because it was five years oh, earlier. On. Oh, yeah. It was too close to be anything and sci-fi other. television was a much less crowded space at the time. That's There's true. No way. Especially no that way. Uh, so Gene Roddenberry would later rework key elements of this story, uh, an agent to Earth by aliens to shepherd humanity out of its childhood with help from a human into another unsuccessful pilot called the Quester Tapes in 1974. 
with the agent being an android. And apparently that was a big deal. He was working on that for a long time and it also failed. Um, but I'd love to see the pilot of that. Uh, the name Roberta Lincoln is a feminine version of Robert Lincoln. Uh, Robert Todd Lincoln was a lawyer, politician, and businessman who had a long career and was present at or near the violent deaths of three presidents, Abraham Lincoln, James Garfield, and William McKinley. So ah. that's kind of creepy. Ah, yeah. And what's funny is the spinoff series of Gary Seven would have been um, in the business of rescuing people from assassinations. So that would have been kind of their focus. That's why they named her Roberta Lincoln. Um, so Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln, you won't see the last of them because they are in a few novels, Assignment Eternity, uh, it's a Star Trek novel by Greg Cox, The Eugenic Wars, The Rise and Fall of Khan, Nunian Singh, and, uh, History from History Shadow by Dayton Ward, and the short story Seven and Seven, which has, uh, Gary Seven teaming up with Seven of Nine. Cute play on words there. <laughs> I wonder if that's why they set up the time travel the way they did the like inevitable past mm, time yeah. travel, because then seven would only be rescuing people that we would that like that like we now watching in the future would never know were attempted to be assassinated. Right. That makes it safe because he's never changing something we knew already happened. Yeah. Right. So he wouldn't be like rescuing anyone we know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, so for a long time, the actress who randomly played the cat in human form uh, was not credited in the show series. So fans for 20 something years uh, just didn't know who played her. Uh, and finally, this woman came out called Ap April uh, Tatro, who was a dancer who was just happened to be casted for that. She wasn't an actress. So they didn't have her say any lines because uh, eventually she would be in the show and do a lot of cat like movements and stuff. Uh, so after that, after she came out, finally, she did a lot of, uh, conventions and stuff and she's been around, but she's still, still alive, I think. Uh, oh, cool. and, uh, Captain Kirk's comment, I'm sure they'll have many interesting adventures together. Uh, of course, refers to the assignment earth series that never materialized. Um, and Gary seven and Roberta Lincoln would have been up against aliens called the Omegans who had mastered time travel and they would work to make sure mankind achieved the glorious destiny that Gary Seven's alien masters intended it should. To this end, Gary Seven's office computer would have had the ability to turn back time and cancel out any damage that had been done by the Omegans in their attempts to alter Earth's history. Hmm. So that's kind of weird, but that, that would have been made a little strange. But that's all my factoids. Some interesting stuff about this episode because a lot was going on uh, behind the scenes, basically. So what kind of uh, Trek connections, Bubba connections we got? Oh, this no, week? we're skipping ahead, bud. Oh, we are? This is the last episode of season two of the original series. Oh, I just figured we'd do that at the very end, but that's fine. Oh, man. That's let's, not how I put it on my thing. <laughs> that's fine. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. I'm tired. Um, so like last season and every season we review, we're going to talk about the top three, the bottom three. Mm-hmm. Uh, of this season, and if they become part of the top three and bottom three for the series we've watched so far. Right. So I figure we'll start with worst, and then we'll finish on a high note with best. Uh, so, German, let's just remind the audience what our worst season one episodes were. All right. So my worst season one episodes were Charlie X, um, which I think is like the first aired episode. Um, but no, it was not good. After the pilot, of course, uh, the menagerie one and two, because it was just a pilot episode, uh, re rehashed basically. 
and Arena. Uh, surprise, pissing off probably a lot of people because it was just fighting the Gorn and running around for a bunch of time. That was that was my uh, bottom three. What about you, Steve? My bottom three are the Naked Time, <laughs> which is the one where the stupid crew member takes off his gloves and like picks up a disease because he took his gloves off and touched idiot. his face. Uh, tomorrow is yesterday because it had incredibly ill-defined time travel. Like this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the alternative factor, because that was the one with like evil Lazarus and good Lazarus and evil Lazarus was just able to wander the, wander oh, the, yeah. the enterprise. And I forgot about havoc, that. Just unabated. That was hilarious. Kind of like seven today was just able to walk around a nuclear compound with a cat. <laughs> Just and no one bothered him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what does that mean? Your worst are for this season, Steve. So I, f- I figure we can, we can pass back and forth. Sure. Sure. So my first of the worst, and this is in no particular order is cat's paw. Oh yes. I, I I'm going to interrupt because mine also, what is what's one of my bottom three as well. Okay. So we can talk about it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It had incredibly slow pacing. Um, Kirk solved his biggest problems with misogyny <laughs> and it honestly had the worst fight choreography of any episode we've seen so far. And we've seen some very bad fight. choreography. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> and I think I agree. I, I just, the costumes, a lot of it was even more over the top than most of the episodes. The acting was very cheesy. Um, it was just this giant cat and it's just like, no, it was just, it, and I still like the episode. Don't get me wrong. I like all, almost all original series episodes, but it was just, it was for this season, very cheesy in, in the bottom of the barrel. Fair. So what's your next one, Steve? My next one, uh, is the immunity syndrome. That's one of mine as well. <laughs> A big, like 17 mile wa- wide single cell organism mm-hmm. between them, like making up Vulcan powers on the fly and an indirect villain that ended up being so stupid. That I couldn't comprehend it. Um, and, th- and I think we talked about this time, uh, at the time the immunity syndrome is like the most bodily of all bottle episodes Yeah, yeah. that we've seen so far and between all those factors, it was just incredibly lackluster. And I think that's why I wrote down like it just, it dragged, it was just not fun to watch. Um, and it's funny cause this is actually on some people's top 10 list for the season two. And I'm like, what? what? I don't get that. Um, what episode did they want? I know, but that was my thing. It's just like some episodes drag in certain parts, but this one just felt like just slow all around. And it's just, it just wasn't, it wasn't offensive. It was just like, this is just kind of boring. Um, yeah. So what, what's your third one? We've agreed on two. So I know that's, that's funny. Kind of amazing. Uh, my third one is the changeling. Okay. I we, can see it. It's the robot. And it was just kind of forgettable. It wasn't. Also, I, there was a lot of good episodes this season, I, so a lot of them are remember, memorable to me. And um, looking back through them, I was like, which ones have I forgotten about? Which ones? And I looked at this when I read the synopsis, then looked at the pictures, then looked at a more of a summary. I'm like, no, I just barely remember anything from this episode, <laughs> except I remember the alien because he's very memorable um, looking because he's so silly looking. But it's just it was forgettable. Do you remember anything about the changeling? Oh, no, not specific. Exactly. <laughs> so that's out. my point. <laughs> What's your third one? My third one is the Omega Glory. Mm. Uh, the insane coincidences between the planet they're on and the United States, the Yangs and the Khan. Oh, the Yangs and the Khan. Villains yeah. with incredibly crazy motivations. 
Like I'm an established Starfleet captain. These people are are, are immortal. We got to capture this. <laughs> yeah, uh, and just insane patriotism to a point of just craziness. That's I a good just, point. I could not get behind the Omega Glory. I didn't put that in my bottom three because I thought it was very good until the end reveal, which I thought was stupid. But like otherwise, I like I liked the episode up until then. But then I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> so I, I get it. <laughs> uh, so I think for so let's talk about like now. Do any of these three that you just named join your bottom three? Do they take the place of anything that was established season one? Uh, yeah, I think um, Charlie X and Arena are better than all three of those. Wow. Okay. So I think I'm gonna, but Menagerie still is boring to me because I like the pilot and. I have to leave that there because that's so boring to watch Menagerie one and two for me. Cause you've watched the pilot. You've already seen it. Menagerie so, one on its own might be okay, but Menagerie two is almost all pilot. Yeah. There's almost no other story in Menagerie. And I think I argued for the last season to put those together as one episode for me. So that's why I did that. But I think right. on the bottom though, I, I think cat's paw is more memorable. So I'm putting changeling and immunity syndrome and Menagerie wow. one and two as my new um, yeah, that's my new bottom three for so far the two seasons. Uh, for me in the bottom three now, the naked time keeps its spot with the idiot crew number in the gloves. <laughs> Tomorrow is yesterday because the time travel was just so nebulous. I can't give it up. This episode was flippant, but that was incredibly muddled. Tomorrow is yesterday. <laughs> but Cat's Paw mm. uh, is going to be taking the place of the alternative factor because at least evil Lazarus and good Lazarus was kind of amusing. Kind of funny overall was just really (laughs) poor. Fair, fair, fair. All right. So so top three, rinse that out of our mouths with some top. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what were your top for? uh, We'll give your, yeah. What's your, Oh, you're gonna give your top for last, all three of your top. top, Yeah. Top, top for last season. Mud's women. Mm -hmm. Mud was just such a great character and Kirk just got outmaneuvered, which you don't get to see that often. Uh, The squire of Gothos. Just Pompey dandy God character, a super strong villain for the crew to play against. And that's that was really good. And the conscience of the king, which I think at the time I said was the best acted. It was very theater theater related. I get why you like that a lot. Yeah. And it was a bottle episode, but I didn't mind it as a bottle episode. They can be good sometimes. Yeah, they can be. So those are my top three. What about you? Uh, so I also had Squire Gothos. And because mm-hmm. I love the the how it's what would you call it? A, a, not a callback, but a forward back or whatever. <laughs> yeah, call forward, call forward because uh, we get Q later on. And it's not especially a Q. I know it's only beta canon that he's a Q, but he basically is a Q. And I love that uh, Squire. It's OK, Gothos. we're beta males, so it's fine. <laughs> there you go. Beta cucks over here. And That's then fine. we have the Corbomite maneuver, which I always loved because it's like the best Kirkiest moment ever where he fakes this maneuver. It's, I love it so much. And then Space Seed, Ricardo Montalban. I mean, how can you go against that? It's wonderful. Uh, yeah, him and him and Kirk just take turns chewing scenery. Oh, I'm going to chew this scenery with you, Kirk. <laughs> um, absolutely. So now let's talk about best from this season and if anything took it their place. Yeah, I wonder if we have two out of three that we got the same this time too. Maybe. What's your first uh, one, Steve? So for me, my first one for this season, season two, Mirror Mirror. Uh-huh. Um, the crew being accidentally transported to an alternate universe. They made a lot of good production choices and small changes that built this entirely different universe, ranging everywhere from new insignias to lighting. Everyone's carrying weapons. And all those little things added up to what was a very complete picture. I agree. And I, I want to put out a disclaimer here. I am not picking 
the typical top three from this season because I think they should. Be, I don't even know what the typical, which is top great. That, that's are. good. So because Steve's watching most of these the first time, if not all almost of them, all of, almost all. Of them. Yeah. So I want him to pick the three. And I kind of want you to give all your three first before I give mine, because I want to okay. see I want to see if they get to the typical top three. So mirror, mirror. OK, uh, I mud. Mud does it again. Oh, you love your mud. Uh, That's true. <laughs> you start, but not even that. You the, the turn was really nice. You start thinking that he's the villain, but then you realize that he's just trying to escape and that he's almost as much a victim as the crew. Um, and I think it is the best executed Kirk tricks a computer episode. Ah, yeah. Okay. And the one I mind the least. Uh, and the third one is Journey to Babel. We get a huge glimpse of not only Vulcan culture, but also the Federation and how ceremony and procedure works. You get to see a pivoting relationship between Spock and his father and Leonard Nimoy really gets to stretch. Um, and between all those factors, it's just a really good episode. Yeah. I, and those are definitely always in the top 10, but you didn't pick the typical, which I like because oh. Journey to Babel, I think, is the smart man's one of the top episodes for season two. Because, yeah, you're right. It's like you see Vulcan culture. You see more of the politics of Starfleet. Like it's more How people of, join Starfleet. Yeah. You see like 10 different races, which never happens. If you watch like Star Trek Discovery these days, that's what basically more episodes are like. They're showing real intense politics and smart, you know, dialogue talking about how the inner workings of this world works that's a great episode um and people just shit on mud a lot uh, the mud episodes but it's a great episode i agree uh but the typical top three which i did did not include in this list for me because i'm already a veteran watcher here were a mock time trouble with triples and mirror mirror trouble with triples is really close yeah, it's, really it's, it's a classic. It's it's funny. It's well crafted. It's obviously classic for a reason. A mock time is the the uh, the episode, of course, where you know Spock is going upon far, and there's the fight between him and Kirk. It's a wonderful episode, and that those would typically be some of my top three as well. But I didn't pick those just to be a little different uh, and move on, and just you know to be contrarian to yourself. Well, and to have, give a new perspective to episodes <laughs> I maybe didn't give as much attention to back in the day, and That's it's really ones that really struck me with this watch through, which would be. Uh, two episodes that were kind of similar in theme, but I really just they, for some reason they stuck with me, which was Return to Tomorrow. OK, um, you get to show it's basically where this uh, older crew from a planet far away wants to take over all of Earth and they want to return to their planet. Um, but uh, no, that's the wrong. One. That's by their, any other name. That's the other one. <laughs> so Return to Tomorrow is where they basically they find this orb and these energy beings take over the bodies of our, our main crew. Um, and you get to see Leonard Nimoy act as something else completely different than a Vulcan. He acts really human. He's the the very charismatic bad guy, basically, which is really fun to watch. And the ending's really creative where he puts his soul inside of the ship the or nurse, something, right? The nurse. Oh, the nurse. Yeah, and yeah. they like share a brain for a little bit and it allows him to withstand them. It, like it, it was cool. Yeah, it's very sci-fi and very cool. And I, it was like probably very dense for people watching back then, but it was just front of me and by any other name was kind of similar it was these people um from a very advanced race who wanted to take over the galaxy but they had to first go back to their home planet where they were these weird cthulhu type monsters but they're in these human bodies and they weren't used to the human bodies and the emotions and the uh the sensations that came with that so kirk used that against them to get them to say they were too different from their human their race now they had to stay with humanity and i thought it was just very well crafted i didn't remember these two episodes very well with my first watch through so I, I really they stuck with me. I thought they're really well done. Um, so those are my two favorite, my top three. And then last one, 
uh, surprisingly, because I think it's the it was the best done of the other planets that have the exact same uh, uh, <laughs> culture as, as Earth was Breton Circuses. It was our last week's episode. Yeah, the, the Roman one. I thought it was just well done, well acted, um, well executed, a lot of different sets, uh, a lot of different things going on that aren't. It was definitely the opposite of a bottle episode. Um, and yeah, overall, I just kind of was like I liked seeing our characters in that environment. And I thought there was little nice character moments between our, our three, uh, our trio there with Bones, Spock, and Kirk. Um, and it reminded me of the movies a little bit, having them in this other environment that they had to deal with with funny moments and drama. So, yeah, those are my strange three. They're not the typical you would imagine. Okay, good. So now let's talk about the new top three. Yes. Does any of yours uh, overlap or change, rather? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I originally had Mud's Women. I'm replacing. I don't want to put two Mud episodes on the same one, on the same list. So I'm going to put replace Mud's Women with I'm Mud. All right. Okay. Um, because not only was Mud already an established character, so you got to perceive him as a villain, but the turn that he's actually the victim, sort of, of his own creation, and then the the eternal punishment of him being stuck with like ten thousand copies of his wife. <laughs> yes, was just such a good. Fitting punishment that we don't get to see all the time. Yeah, it was very creative. Uh, but then uh, uh, Squire of Gothos retains its spot on top. <laughs> uh, but Journey to Babel replaces Conscience of the King. Well, even though Conscience of the King did have some really good acting, Journey to Babel was just such a fuller episode. Yeah. And we got really good acting from Leonard Nimoy via the relationship with his father. That's true. That's true. Um, for my three, I think Squire of Gothos stays where it is. I agree. Uh, Corbomite Maneuver is going to stay where it is uh, because it just it's really establishes the kind of strategy. Tranya. And, and then Tranya. You can't go without Tranya. <laughs> and, but then I'm going to take uh, Return to Tomorrow and replace Space Seed. Wow. Because as much as I like Khan. That's a surprise. They did not do that episode very well because he is the epitome of man. We talked about this when we reviewed that episode, the epitome of man, they end the episode in a dumb way by having them have fisticuffs and Kirk somehow winning, which makes no sense. It should yeah, have been Kirk, like get, grabs a piece of pipe off the ship and just beats him with it. Yeah. <laughs> it should have been Kirk's empathy or experience or something that made him win, not his brute strength because he doesn't have that against Khan or even raw intelligence. It had to be something is humanity that would have had him win against Khan. So I think it was a fatal flaw in that episode. And so I'm having returned to tomorrow where I got to really just, cause I love Leonard Nimoy the most out of anything in the series. And he had a lot of time to just be someone completely different. And that really stuck with me. So we nice. got, yeah, that's the one's going to replace. All right. Well, we've got a new top three and bottom three. Let's see if they hold as we move in next episode to season three. Season three. All uh, right. So boy, I got some track connections. Oh, what are those track connections? Let's have it. Bam. Uh, Alice Cooper was interviewed for the 2006 40 years of Star Trek TV documentary about the sensational franchise. Hmm. Uh, there's an actress named Musetta Vance who was in Star Trek Voyager episode The Disease. She was also in an Alice, Alex Cooper's Bed of Nails music video as a dancer. Nice. <laughs> and Terry Garr, who played Roberta, was also in Young, Young Frankenstein, uh, which was directed by Mel Brooks, who was Muppet, uh, Muppet Movie 
uh, cameo haver. Mm-hmm. And she played opposite of Gene Wilder, who was husband of Gilda Radner, former Muppet Show guest. I didn't realize that was her in Bride uh, of Young Frankenstein. Yeah, Tony Gar. Nice. This is one of the few times in Star Trek where I saw an actor and knew who they were. <laughs> yeah, that rarely happens. Very rarely. <laughs> Most of the time, I just know them from the love. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Steve, that's just for me. I appreciate that. The excuse for the cue. <laughs> yeah, You're right. exactly. <laughs> so is that your, all your connections there, Steve? Yeah, that's it. That's all I could find. Well, now let's discuss the similarities and how these episodes are exactly the same. They're the same episode. So, for instance, all of Gary Seven's friends uh, are dead. Uh, just like Alice Cooper in the beginning of this episode, all of his bandmates are all dead specters. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, both feature people having made agreements with a higher authority. Alice Cooper's supposed contract with the devil and Gary Seven's uh, mysterious alien race he's going to help. That's true. Uh, Gary Seven has a companion that isn't what she seems with Isis, just as Alice Cooper has a companion that isn't what she seems when she's not really a strange green bird creature, but she's actually Miss Piggy. That is the exact one I had. (laughs) Of course. Both feature female characters who are thought to be one thing and then revealed to be another. Exactly. (laughs) That's that's the way it goes. I'm going to take the third one before you take it because it's probably the same. Uh, Both feature technology. That's just a real bad idea. (laughs) The orbiting nuclear warhead platform and the German larger. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't I didn't have that. That was all the similarities I had. (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, what's that noise? Order now function. Transporter malfunction. All right, now it's the time when we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? This week, Muppets to Trek, I've got Alice Cooper coming over to take the place of Gary Seven, sent by some mysterious force, maybe the devil. Oh, uh, He just looks shady as hell, but turns out to be a good guy. Oh, yeah. You get a blank in him in the end. He'd be, he'd be more charismatic than the actor they picked. So that works. That's true. Um, I had Alice Cooper coming over to replace the cat Isis, and he would just be like walking around on all fours, not actually as a cat, just Alice Cooper. <laughs> so not, the, not replacing the actress that the cat turns into, but just the just cat the cat. Itself. Yep, the cat itself. <laughs> uh, Trek to Muppets this week. I'm, I'm going to bring over Roberta Lincoln oh. and switch her for Robin in Somewhere Over the Rainbow because they are both just so damn wholesome and cute. They are cute. It's true. Uh, I'm having Gary Seven to transport over to be Sam the Eagle, because I think that actor would be perfect in that role because he's stiff and boring. <laughs> I can get that. <laughs> Not as fun as the other one, but it's it's very true. <laughs> so I think that ends this episode of the 56 of the Muppet Trek podcast. That's right. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest Loretta Lynn. And original series episode Spectre of the Gun. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>